mic is hot and the game is on. You're listening to News for the Nation podcast by Aces Nation, where we talk about nutrition, sports performance, the journey of a student athlete, and more. I'm Claire. I'm Zach. Time Time to to level level up. Welcome back, sports fans. Today, we are talking about Red S, which you may not have heard of, but you probably heard it from another term, and injuries in sports, just in sports in general. Okay. Yeah. Uh, once again, I am Zach Wallace, athletic performance specialist for Aces Nation. This is Claire Igo, sports nutrition specialist for Aces mm-hmm. Nation. And uh, yeah, we're glad to be here with you today um, on uh, Cesar Chavez Day, 2023. Yeah, I bet you didn't know that either. Yeah, si se puede. All right, Claire, let, let's get into it about Red S because people are probably like, eh, what is that? It's an acronym. Mm-hmm. Tell yeah. Us, tell us. So I think it's important to talk about because. Um, just from an energy balance perspective, I think a lot of athletes are not eating enough and are in a potential negative energy balance. So red S or reds is relative energy deficiency in sports. So it's an acronym. Um, and it's kind of this like all encompassing syndrome of health outcomes and performance outcomes that, um, basically come from low energy availability or not having enough fuel or energy available to, perform required daily processes. And then obviously in turn, that's going to affect athletic performance. So, um, I don't, it's a relatively new term too. So I think that's probably why a lot of people haven't necessarily heard of it. Um, I say relatively new, but, um, it's been around for almost 10 years, but I think in the sports world and, and just like science in general, that that's relatively new. Um, I would argue that like the sports nutrition world is still relatively new and that's been around for probably almost 15, 20 years at this point. Um, but yeah, so that's Red S and I think uh, it's important to talk about, like I mentioned, because not a lot of people know what it is mm-hmm. and what's happening. Yeah. So talk to us about uh, energy balance or energy imbalance that, mm-hmm. that might be happening in sports. Yeah. So energy balance, to put it simply, is just, uh, you know, energy in and, and energy out. So it's kind of like obviously a scale. So if you're balanced, you know, you're, you're matching both energy in and energy out. And then if one is off balance, maybe we're doing that on purpose because we're trying to gain muscle. We've talked about that in our hypertrophy um, and building muscle episode of you want your energy in to exceed your energy out so that you can have resources available to do that. Um, Specifically in sports, maybe if you're a weight class sport, you might do the opposite where your energy in, you want that to be less than your energy out to make weight or whatever. Um, again, I think we've talked about that a little bit of that's not typically recommended from a performance perspective. Right. There may be a case by case basis where we need to look at that, but that should be monitored by professionals. Um, but for the most part, we want it to be balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times, oftentimes what you'll see is that, um, People only think about energy balance as like calories in and calories out um, from like a workout perspective and what you're burning from physical activity or exercise. And the majority of the calories that we're utilizing or the energy that we're utilizing during the day is coming from your BMR or your RMR um, and basically the energy that your body consumes to keep you alive and keep your blood pumping and keep your heart beating, making sure your brain is functioning and that your kidneys and your liver and your um, stomach and all of these things are functioning and um, 
completing the processes that need to be completed to keep you alive and functioning optimally. Um, so those are, in addition to physical activity, that's happening. We need energy for that. And then there's two other things that contribute to your energy out uh, part of the equation, and that is NEAT, so non-exercise um, activity thermogenesis. So basically, that's just the energy you're utilizing doing like day-to-day -day activities, um, any sort of like fidgeting or twitching, or like if you're somebody that like taps your foot and doesn't even really think about it, you're burning energy through that. Mm -hmm. Not a huge percentage of energy con uh, consumed, but still part of the equation. And then um, the last one is just the energy that you're using through digestion, absorption, um, and storing food. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot more to the equation than I think people really realize from an energy balance perspective. For sure. For sure. Because uh, I know a lot of people aren't thinking about how many calories they might be burning by mm -hmm. blinking and talking with their hands and, and stuff yeah. like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. And um, I, I we mentioned, I can't remember what episode it was, but we mentioned um, one study from collegiate basketball players and uh, I think like the mean amount of calories that they were eating was like 2,800 to 3,000 calories and they were still in a negative energy balance just because through exercise they were burning like upwards of like 1,500 calories and then you put their RMR mm -hmm. in that equation. They're probably more muscular than the average human being. Um, in college, you know, they, they're going to school. They're probably lifting. They're probably like going out on the weekends and hanging out with their friends. And, you know, maybe they're doing like campus rec stuff, like just kayaking or canoeing on the weekends, who knows? And so that, um, that's going to increase their consumption right. of calories a lot. So I'm, I wasn't necessarily surprised to see that, that even though they were eating like 3000 calories, they were still significantly in a negative net balance of energy availability. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just important to to recognize. And then on the even on the energy inside, I think a lot of times we just think of, okay, well, it's what you're eating, but what factors affect how much and what you're eating? Like there's a lot of factors that affect that part of the equation too, whether that be like socioeconomic status, financial status, availability to food, um, hunger and satiety, hormones and cues, um, knowledge of, of what to eat and how much and the different types of things and different macros and micros. So there's a lot of things that affect that part of the equation too. Um, so really from a, an energy availability standpoint, both of the sides of the equation can be affected to where you're then in a low energy availability space. Right, right. So take us through REDS. Yeah. So originally, I think it was like in... 2005, I want to say, early 2000s, the International Olympic Committee um, put out a consens consensus statement on the female athlete triad. So that was kind of like the first uh, coined phrase or coined term and syndrome that kind of encompassed these like negative outcomes and symptoms from low energy availability. So I think some of our listeners, but the majority of people will probably recognize what the female athlete triad is. Yeah. Like I remember that from college. Um, mm -hmm. like I'd never heard of Red S until I started working with you. But l let me ask you this question here. 
low energy availability mm -hmm. can happen in males too. Right. Uh, talk about like why, like your opinion or anything you have, like why was it called the female athlete mm -hmm. triad and not just the athlete triad that maybe had some yeah. things that uh, can, uh, I'm sorry, involved females and, and some things that were to be considered with males, like different yeah. things. That's a good question. So a lot of the times, or I think it was seen as more prevalent in females, and that's why it was coined the female athlete triad, because one, from a hormonal perspective, low energy availability is going to affect females sooner than it would affect males just because of hormonal status and things like that, right? Like females tend to have a higher body fat percentage because um, of the of menstrual cycles and just the potential their body kind of understanding the potential future of a possible pregnancy and things like that. Um, and so I think in, in that time it was seen more in females because, um, we were seeing that amenorrhea and the loss of a menstrual cycle. We were seeing more bone injuries, um, and stress fractures. And so it was kind of, it was coined that because the, the triangle, the female triad was, um, low bone mineral density or low bone mass, um, the unhealthy reproductive suppression. So whether that be again, amenorrhea or like irregular periods, um, and then that energy deficiency. Mm -hmm. So whether that be through, um, disordered eating or an eating disorder kind of on like the extreme end of the spectrum. So again, I think in that time, a lot of, there was a lot of bias towards females tend to fall more prone to eating disorders. And they were seeing a lot of those bone injuries in females and males don't have menstrual cycles. So obviously that's not going to affect right, them. Right. Um, and so that's why it was in, from what I would assume was coined the female athlete triad. At some point, I, I can't recall when, at some point they did coin a male athlete triad and kind of expanded on like this idea of the criteria uh, seen and, and those symptoms to then be diagnosed with uh, the male athlete triad. And so it's similar of like the energy deficiency, um, the impaired bone health, which again, you may not see as soon in males just because of the hormones, um, and then reproductive suppression. So instead of menstrual dysfunction or amenorrhea, we're seeing things like low testosterone, um, loss in muscle mass, um, an abnormal sperm count. So that was coined at some point. But then in 2014, when uh, the IOC then came out with a consensus statement about Red S, it was recognized that, well, there's a lot more that goes into it and there's a lot more that's affected mm -hmm. than just uh, your reproductive system and your bone health. Right. There's more that's going on and there's more that's effective because the endocrine system is very complex. And, uh, you know, when you look at hormones, um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and this was a good um, statement, I think, that you can't look at one hormone in its singularity. Like if you were to get like a blood test or um, do like a Dutch test, you can't just look at cortisol levels, right? Because it could tell you like you have low cortisol or high cortisol or it's fine, but what else is happening? Because mm -hmm. other things are going to affect cortisol. Like what is your thyroid doing? What is your, um, 
luteinizing hormone doing and your follicular stimulating hormone doing? Like what are all those things doing? Because they're all connected and one is going to affect the other, which is going to affect another, which is then going to affect your organs. And that's going to affect all of these processes. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of how it, it transitioned from like the triad to red S. Yeah. Okay. So, so looking at the entire ecosystem and not just one or two things that are happening in there, like there's a, right. there's a big complex picture that's happening um, with your body in uh, result of the energy availability that you have for, and so many other factors that are going on. And it's not only just playing into your bone health, but it could be playing into your mental health at that mm-hmm. point. It could be playing into, you know, just so many other factors. So good to understand that stuff um, that it's not just about one factor. It's about how uh, multiple factors are interacting together within this ecosystem. Right. Yeah. And I think the the health component is a really big highlight because, I mean, when we talk about like what we do, we're obviously we want to help athletes reach their peak performance and become better athletes, but they're a human first. And I always say this with nutrition is like, even if you meet with a dietitian for performance outcomes, like everything that you're learning is also to benefit your health. Like a, a lot of times when people leave athletics, I think you'll see this maybe more, I, I've seen it maybe more prevalent in like football of they're trained to eat a specific way um, for football. And once their career is over and they continue to eat that way, their health is going to be impacted because they're no longer exercising at the intensity and frequency that they once were. Um, Same thing with other athletes of, I think sometimes maybe more so on the female side, they fall into the opposite of, well, I'm not working out anymore. So they drastically decrease their intake. um, And that can impact their, their hormone health as well. That can impact their, their health too. So you can see, you know, you can see it on both sides. Um, I've also seen a lot of my uh, former teammates that are offensive line, defensive line, they've gotten out of sport and they've really changed their diet because Mm -hmm. they don't need to take in as many calories as they did once before. And those guys start to lose quite a bit of weight, like in a healthy way where they're, 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 um, more cognizant of, of their health and like what their weight status is because they don't need to be a certain size for the sport right. anymore. Their goals have changed. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but I think like we've talked about, so we just mentioned like the the reproductive health um, part with low energy availability. Mm-hmm. We mentioned the bone health and the endocrine health, but there are many other factors that are also impacted by low energy availability, um, including, like you mentioned, the psychological piece, um, growth and development. So particularly for younger athletes or adolescent athletes who we work with a lot, um, hematological. So just blood markers, Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, metabolic. So again, if you're not eating enough metabolically and your metabolism wise, your body's not going to be able to function Mm -hmm. as, as, um, efficiently as it needs to cardiovascular. Sometimes I think people forget that their heart is a muscle. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and so if we're not eating enough, sometimes your heart has to work harder. And sometimes that's not great when we're already like pushing our heart, that muscle during practice or, you Mm -hmm. know, during lifting and stuff like that. Yeah. Gastrointestinal. This is a big one that I think people don't really recognize and understand. Um, particularly when I was working with eating disorders specifically, there were so many GI issues 
because um, if we're not eating enough, your gut is going to suffer because one, from a bacterial perspective, um, we're not providing that fuel for that bacteria, that good bacteria to thrive. And then from another perspective is then your GI tract, you're not providing it with the resources it needs to be like um, pushing it through the GI tract, that motility. And sometimes you'll experience like gastroparesis. So it's kind of almost like paralyzed in a sense. And again, it's their muscles too. You need to like, uh, you need to uh, make sure they're working Mm -hmm. so that they work. Um, so that's a big one that a lot of athletes maybe don't recognize that they're struggling from like bloating and gas or cramping or all of these things. And they're like, I'm eating all the right things. I'm eating a ton of protein, but maybe you're just not eating enough. Um, and then immune immunity. So if we're not eating enough, chances are you're probably going to be sick, uh, Mm -hmm. more often than, than maybe you would be if you were eating enough for your body to, um, be able to build up strong defenses. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just the health side. <laughs> yeah, I know. And there are so many other things that can play there. But that's a good point about gastrointestinal. I didn't mm-hmm. even think about the uh, effects it would have on the uh, motility. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I think bloating is a big one, too. I mean, especially in females, I think um, oftentimes it's that's a frustrating side effect. And in our minds, I think, especially from social media, you'll see, oh, if you want to de-bloat or if you want to, like, get a flat stomach – then take these supplements or do this or just work out harder. Yeah. Yeah, Do this cleanse or just work out more, do more cardio, do more this. And a lot of times that's the opposite of what you need or eat less or, you know, whatever it might be. So there's just a lot of bad advice out there. Um, But I think that's good for athletes to know because a lot of these things there, they might coin or they might look at as something else, like they're eating too much or whatever. And it's, more oftentimes than not the opposite. Yeah, I know. I have actually a really good friend um, in strength conditioning who lives in Japan now Mm -hmm. um, with her uh, military spouse. And she is all on the wave of eat more and train and Mm -hmm. you'll lose weight like Mm -hmm. type of thing. So I I really think she's kind of um, shedding some good light on it's okay to eat more because you can lose weight by eating more. Yeah. You know, and still, you know, exercising and stuff like that. So, yeah. Or I think the other flip side, again, is like these athletes probably have, they have so much muscle. They're so strong. And the more muscle you have, the more energy your body needs from a resting point. So your BMR goes up, your RMR goes up, right? Uh, whatever you want to call it. And that requires more food. And I don't think people, I don't think athletes understand that either. I was talking to an athlete, um, a while ago, a collegiate basketball player, and um, she was taking a nutrition class. And they were talking about like figuring out your BMR, your RMR, mm-hmm. or whatever. And of course, they go on Google and they use those like BMR calculator or whatever. And it's like telling them 1200 calories is your BMR, which obviously you have to add activity factor and everything else on mm-hmm. top of that. But I was like, no, that's way too low. Yeah. Especially, I mean, like, there's no way because like, you just have so much muscle. You're a strong girl. You're strong. that, And there's no way for that little calculator to take that into account. And that's why, uh, I mean, equations obviously are not necessarily like the end-all be-all, but there are different equations that we use as dietitians that take into account your lean muscle mass or right. your, um, your 
fat-free mass because that's important as an athlete to know because otherwise it's just going to give you the same thing as Sally down the street who weighs the same <laughs> and is the same height as you and doesn't exercise at all. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really great point that you make right there because nobody thinks about that, at least not in that way from a, mm -hmm. I'm not working with a specialist way. As you get stronger, right, as you gain muscle mass, your calorie intake, it slides on the scale, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so as you get stronger and gain more muscle mass, you're going to have to, you know, yeah, get more calories just to maintain that, right? right. And so like, as that progresses, you got to keep sliding that scale, mm -hmm. right? So I, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's probably more than, than you think it is, um, which... I know it sounds scary, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah it's okay because it's not going to be like, I don't know. It's good for you to take in the appropriate amount of calories for right. all of these factors. But not everyone's going to know all the things that a registered dietitian would know. So mm -hmm. obviously more so an even better reason for you to seek professional uh, mm -hmm. assistance in your diet, right? And, yeah. and how to incorporate the type of goals and, and changes that you want to make. Yeah. And obviously like getting stronger or, or being able to lift more is a good indication of uh, maybe you're eating enough, but some other performance outcomes that I think are important to point out it, that are affected by not eating enough are like decreased endurance performance. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes other factors get blamed for that. Like I haven't been sleeping well, or I've just been stressed. And while those things could definitely have, um, an effect on that, that's probably also going to contribute, um, or the low energy availability and those other factors could all kind of be like a perfect storm. Right. Right. We just, we mentioned the ecosystem earlier. Yes. We were talking about, uh, just other factors and like this being another one of those things you should, you should check all the boxes here that, you know, yeah. it may be because of this one area, but also you need to assess the entire situation. Yeah. Um, we talked about menstrual functioning function, a decreased training response. So, Again, you might be training your little butt off and you're not getting stronger, mm -hmm. probably because you're not eating enough. Yeah, not making an adaptation. Yeah. You need to. Um, impaired judgment. So that's definitely something you don't want. Right. Um, decreased coordination, decreased concentration. So again, more of that like kind of psychological um, perspective, increased irritability and depression, mm -hmm. psychological, um, and then decreased glycogen stores and decreased muscle strength again, because there's no resources available to add to those right now you're yeah now you're talking about in-game performance going down because yeah. all because you're not eating enough you know yeah um and then but just to go back to like the the stress part um and the low and low energy availability again is is a spectrum in terms of like uh are we aware of what's happening because there could be this intentional restriction or intentional putting ourselves into low energy availability more oftentimes than not, it's unintentional because mm -hmm. maybe we're stressed or we're losing sleep, so we're not as hungry, or maybe we're not making the appropriate uh, nutritional decisions. Um, so if we're not hungry and we're not making the appropriate decisions, then that again is going to be a couple of reasons why we're not meeting our calorie needs. Or again, maybe we're just under the assumption that uh, 200, uh, 2000 calories is good enough. Like that sounds like a lot. I work out a ton and that's probably half of what an elite athlete needs at 
at the least. Um, so there's a lot of factors. I think we could probably spend hours talking about reds. Um, but I think one of the more important things is again, talking about injury. So we mentioned we wanted to, to talk about injury. I think low energy availability is probably the number one cause of injury aside from just like, um, you know, maybe freak accidents or, um, lack of functional movement or just like poor movement patterns, low energy availability accounts for a lot of that from an injury perspective. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, um, again, ecosystem reference here, sleep being involved in that is research out there about you being several times more likely to be injured if you get less than, mm -hmm. was it seven or eight hours of sleep? Yeah, I think less than seven. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are so many things to take into consideration, but another good point is like, we've brought up a few of these already. It was like, people don't, most people don't know this. Most people don't think about this that way. It's like, you can make yourself available or make yourself healthy or keep yourself healthy just by eating enough, getting enough sleep, mm -hmm. like things that are well within your control, right? Yeah. Um, like non-contact injuries, not really, or I'm sorry, contact injuries, not really in your control, right? But right. like this stuff right in your wheelhouse, right? So. Yeah. And, and sometimes I think it's also important to recognize that low energy availability can come even if you don't change anything about your eating, if you're eating a lot, but maybe your training changes. So mm -hmm. I think a good example of that is athletes transitioning from high school to college. Your training volume for the most part is going to go up significantly. I think sometimes that I think that like summer piece um, between high school and college is really important to focus on injury resiliency from a nutrition perspective mm -hmm. because you're going into a new environment. Um, most of the time, these athletes are living in dorms. They're not, they don't have people to cook for them. I mean, they do, but if they don't like the choices available or whatever, their choices are a lot slimmer. Their access to food is a, a lot less. Um, so that's another piece to, to that puzzle of you may not necessarily be eating less or you may not necessarily be changing anything about your eating, but excuse me, if your training changes, that could automatically just put you in a low energy availability because you need more energy available for that training and you don't change anything about your eating. Yeah. So that's another piece. I agree. Going to, going into college, training definitely changes, not just the volume, sometimes the volume may not change, you know, based mm -hmm. on whatever high school you come from, but like yeah. the intensity goes way up. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's definitely wise mm -hmm. to make the appropriate adjustments and be, yeah. just be mindful of this is not the same situation that I just came out of, even though it may be like, it's the same sport. I'm mm -hmm. the same person, you know, like we may be doing similar like things, right. But it's, it's not the same intensity. It may not be the same duration. Mm -hmm. uh, it may not even be the same climate. Right. So yeah. all these things affect you. Right. Yeah. Cause that's going to affect things. Yeah too, from an energy perspective. Like if you're going from sea level to altitude, mm -hmm. that's a big change. Absolutely. Um, or it, it, when I came from, you know, pretty mild weather, like you get all seasons to Florida where it's hot and humid the majority of the year, yep. that's yeah. going to change things too. Yeah. I know. Um, yeah. So, so injuries can have, um, uh, many different ways to manifest injury, uh, 
energy availability being one of those things as well. I, I'm not going to talk a ton about injuries here, but mm -hmm. I'll just kind of mention um, a couple of things that need to be considered. Uh, we've mentioned strength um, in mm -hmm. this podcast. Now, in some research that that I've seen and had over years passed down to me through professionals, like um, there's a study in Sweden where lower body strength was an indicator of resiliency against injury mm -hmm. in females. Yeah. Um, in this study didn't necessarily show the same for males, but I know that's, that's still a big deal that lower body strength is needed. I mean, so training is needed, the appropriate energy available for that training to make those adaptations mm -hmm. is needed for that. Um, and then from um, other different standpoints, right? Like the more that you're able to have muscles trained to be resilient, your body trained to be robust against forces, you're going to be less susceptible to certain types of injuries. Um, and, and your main goal, I think, in any reactive sport or any sport where there uh, is a high amount of force happening in a really short amount of time mm -hmm. that could be happening from one direction to the other, where it's like uh, compression or shear forces like happening. So um, you want to make sure that your body's ready to withstand those things. And, and training comes along with that. Um, and having your body be ready to make the adjustments to your training mm -hmm. in the form of what we're talking about, energy availability yeah. is a big deal because if you're training, not able to make those adjustments because of your diet, because of your lifestyle habits, you know, thinking whole ecosystem again, you're just essentially making yourself more tired yeah. and then just going deeper into the hole because of all the different factors that aren't being met or aren't really um, the gears that aren't turning because you're not even eating enough. Right. right. Yeah. So I, I think that that's just important for us to bring this to light and mm -hmm. not talk about a lot of training because your training will suffer. Yeah. If that is not addressed. Yeah. It's kind of like the, again, we could talk about like a hierarchy of like, we need to focus on this first mm -hmm. before we can expect to see any benefit from right. this right. up here. Um, so in this particular uh, context, it's, we need to make sure that our energy needs are being met through high quality food, through macro and micronutrient um, distributions that are appropriate for the sport that we're playing and the goals that we want to reach before we can expect to see any type of positive adaptations, right. both in a strength training, both from a strength training perspective, but also from a sport specific perspective. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm just going to put in this hierarchy thing. I, I think that if you don't have the requisite strength and your muscles don't have the requisite uh, cross-sectional area, so like size, mm -hmm. you're not able to produce as much force. You're probably not recruiting enough uh, like motor units um, to be able to produce force and therefore not able to produce force at a fast rate Yeah. Um, that you may need to for certain like speed or power elements. So in all reality, you have to... You have to gain strength in some like functional manner and your muscles have to be, they have to change in the right way. Like whether that's cross-sectional area, whether mm -hmm. that's fascicle length, like th they need to change in the appropriate way from your training. And you have to have those uh, force producing capabilities to even be able to do things at a, 
uh, high rate, fast speed, any of those things. So, and, I, and obviously you can't make those changes if, if we're not taking care of the body as a whole, right? You right. can't just be, you can't just throw more exercise on exercise like people want to do. And, you know, we can't just, yeah. I feel Over more training, right, right. <laughs> like you, you, you wear yourself down. Right. And then some people I think get into this whole, like we've mentioned this before is like, uh, I'm feeling kind of tired today, but I know I need to train yeah. need to quote unquote train. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like, I'm just going to have some caffeine, which will make myself better. And now you're throwing yourself into a hole, like from an energy availability yeah. standpoint and from a training, like, um, uh, fatigue level. It, yeah. It's just a bad cycle that you're about to go into if you're not yeah. fueling yourself properly. Yeah. I mean, that's probably a whole other rabbit hole we could go down of right, right. the the need for rest and athletes. I definitely fell into that uh, category at some point of thinking that more is better, more, 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 more. Right. And do like, if I have free time, I must be doing something exercise wise, that's going to make me a better athlete. No, rest is important. So yeah. And I, I think looking back now, that probably could have saved me a lot of time uh, mm. out from being injured. So. Yeah. I mean, and I think about in the um, academic setting where like sports is occurring, like we're talking about with youth sports or with collegiate athletics, like there's an appropriate dose for everything for um, calorie intake, you know, for calorie expenditure, there's an appropriate dose, right, for that stuff. And, and we want to be able to have the most, the minimal effective dose in mm -hmm. a lot of these situations, because it's not just, it's not just eating and training that's happening. It's school, it's, you know, extracurricular activities, mm -hmm. it's family functions, right? It, it's, it's so many things that are um, so many pieces fitting into this puzzle, right. Yeah. To make this picture of someone's life. And we need to, we need to give them training to, you know, uh, supplement their, their body adaptations. They need to be able to, uh, have the requisite amount of energy available to enhance or, or, um, aid in those adaptations, but right. it's not the only thing going on. So we can't just spend, five hours every two days of training and, yeah. and everything. It, it's not realistic. It, it's not. And um, honestly, at that point, it becomes probably a little more stressful for the athlete to know that they've got to do this for a little bit of time, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I think there are ways, and, and again, minimal effective dose is probably one of your better things to do to just keep it simple because there are there's an appropriate exercise selection, uh, uh, rep, and set prescription that is scientifically backed that will give you the adaptations that you want. Right. Granted, you have everything you need from a, a nutrition recovery perspective, like already in place. Right. right. So it's not just the training they do, the habits that you have in your daily lifestyle and that kind of combination. Again, ecosystem that we talked about mm -hmm. having that healthy environment that you've created for yourself in order to reach your goals. Right. Yeah very holistic absolutely view but yeah more is not more no more is not more less is more sometimes you know yeah, for sure that was a pretty quick one though but i think everything you brought to the table claire very beneficial and i hope everyone yeah. got 
at least three things from this because I know I've learned so much from just even working, you know, side by side with you. So uh, thanks everyone for listening here. We hope you have a great day mm -hmm. um, and we will catch you on the next one. Yeah. Eat your food. <laughs> <laughs> See ya.